We're at 1 Kings chapter 15. Let me clarify that. So remember, we're during this time where the nation of Israel has been divided after King Solomon. There is the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And the Lord, through this section of the scriptures, is going to take us through some of these kings. And he's going to let us see what their life was like and what their legacy was like. And we get a good encouragement and almost a good warning as we see some of these two that our life matters, and the Lord is taking notes. He's watching us. He's hoping the best for us. You know, he wants us to follow his ways and see his blessing in our life, but he, he also lets us see what it looks like when you have some people that are kind of half committed to the Lord or maybe not committed at all. So they've had opportunities to, to jump in and, and walk with the Lord, but uh, they haven't always taken the best opportunities the Lord provided. So he's going to let us focus in on a few of these lives today. We're just going to look at a couple of them in the beginning of 1 Kings chapter 15. So it says, In the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijam became king over Judah. And King Jeroboam here, that's King Jerry, as I've been calling him. He's the king in the northern kingdom of Israel. The Lord lets us know it's during his time in in, uh, the throne there, time in the office, that this is going on. And here we're told that there's a new king over the southern kingdom of Judah, and it's Abijam. He's the son of Rehoboam. I've been calling him Rob there, just in case you're able to use those tools to help you remember that too, who's in the north and who's in the south. So as the Lord's relating Israel's history to us, he's telling us about these kings who are actually reigning at the same time. So he's gonna go talk about the king in the north a little bit just to give us a, a time marker And now he's going to focus in more in this section on the kings in the south. So we'll get a chance to see how how these guys lived and and what opportunities they had. So it goes on in verse 2. It says, he reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Maacha, the granddaughter of Abishalom. So this is the reign of uh, Abijam. It was a very short reign, the Lord tells us. It was only three years long. It does mention his mother's name because she's going to be part of this story later on. So you notice that sometimes in the scriptures, the Lord will introduce us to people. And at the point we see their name mentioned, we might not get much of of the idea. But later on, when you see him come back in the story, you're going to go, oh, yeah, the Lord told us about this person. So uh, she's one of these people that will come into play later on here. So verse 3, it says, and he walked in all the sins of his father which he had done before him. His heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. And when it calls David here, it's King David, it's talking about in his father, it's, it's simply saying one of his forefathers here, the, the people that were in his family line, I think it's actually the great-great-grandfather we're talking about at this point. But the Lord just kind of shortens it and said it's his father David here, so don't get confused on that. Now this is a one-verse summary that the Lord gives us of this man's life and, and what he looks like in the eyes of the Lord. And you know, the only thing that is going to matter in eternity is what our life is like in the eyes of the Lord right now. And that's something we need to consider. It amazes me that some people think they can live their entire life devoid of God and somehow think they're gonna make it into heaven. 
I know you've talked to these people as well as I have. You know, they think that God has to let them in because they've done more good in their life than bad or they see themselves as a good person. But God's not a butler at the door of heaven, you know, and you can't demand that he lets you in. But if you talk to some people, that's kind of the idea you get. No, he's the creator, the sustainer, the owner of the entire universe, including heaven. And I dare say that he owns all of eternity as well. And the only people who will be welcome to live with him are those who have a relationship with him through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus said in John 14 that no one comes to the Father except through him. And in 1 John 5, 12, it says, he who has the Son, he's in this reference to Jesus here, he has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So the Lord, he summarizes the life and character of this this King Abijam here in verse 3. And he says a few things uh, pretty sad about him. Now, we're going to find later on as we get into uh, 2 Kings and uh, later on into 2 Chronicles and that there are other things the Lord tells us about these guys in greater detail. At this point, he's kind of given a general overview of some of them because there's enough in the general overview to tell us something about their life that God wants us to catch. So here, as he gives this summary of Abijam, he mentions a few things and it's pretty short and to the point. So uh, don't read too fast past these. You want to stop and think about them a minute. The first thing he says in verse 3 is, he walked in all the sins of his father. You know, so he didn't miss a lick. If there was a sin that his daddy was involved in, that's what he wanted to do as well. Now, a note here for us. Just because you had a bad example from your father, that doesn't mean that you have to follow in his footsteps, right? Right? I mean, unfortunately, this guy thought, hey, dad seemed to get away with stuff and he seemed to have fun with sin, so I think I'll do that too. So what a sad testimony from the eyes of the Lord to have to put that stamp on him that he, he was into all the sins of his father there. The second thing he mentions, the second thing he says there is, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God. So we get a more detailed story of his life in Second Chronicles 13, and we're not going to take time to read that now because it's a pretty lengthy passage. I think he probably had his moments, as you, as you read through that and kind of meditate on that, I think he had his moments of following the Lord, you know, at first, but he quickly turned to the evil side of things. You know, he could have been one of these guys that they, they cry out to the Lord for help when they're in a desperate situation, but once things settle down and seems things seem like they're going okay, then they just revert back to their selfish living and they forget the Lord. And this seems to be that kind of a character as you read that story uh, later on in Second Chronicles. Uh, this kind of person, they think that, you know, I don't have any need for God anymore. <laughs> I needed him at one point. He took care of things in my life. I'm good now, so I'm done. And it's sad to see that, but that sounds like this kind of guy the Lord's talking about. The Lord said something else interesting about him, though. He said he's not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father, David. So he's using David here as the standard, and the Lord's going to use him to kind of uh, judge the rest of the kings of, of Judah here, the southern kingdom. David is a standard to look at. He had a great walk with the Lord. He was faithful to the Lord all of his life, and the Lord's going to tell us more about him in a moment here, too. 
But what are you saying about this guy as compared to David? He wasn't anywhere close to, to where David was in his walk with the Lord. So uh, well, we're going to see David's, David's walk there just, it puts Abijah to shame, you know. And man, we hate to have somebody put next to us, you know, who has such an awesome walk. But the Lord has every right to do that because David proved it can be done. You can walk and live close to the Lord. So the person can't come up with the excuse, well, that was impossible to do. I couldn't do that. The Lord's going to say, let me talk to you about my, my boy, King David here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Let's take a look at his life. All right. So go on to verse 4. It says, nevertheless, so even though he just told us this guy was a mess, he says, nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord, his God, gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by setting up his son after him and by establishing Jerusalem because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Now there's some very important words here that I think we want to take a look at and pay attention to the first one is in verse 4, the word nevertheless. And the second one is in verse 5, that, and that word is because. We're going to take a closer look at what these words have to do here. In verse 4, the Lord was saying that although Abijam was a total failure in being a good king over Judah, he never made that mark or got even close to it, he was a total failure. But despite that, the Lord was going to nevertheless give him a lamp, it says, in Jerusalem. So Lord was going to let God's light shine there anyway. And the Lord explains how he was going to do that. He was going to do two things. He says God was going to set up Abijah's son as king after him. And we find out later that his son was a really good guy in the eyes of the Lord. So here's a guy who's a mess, but God's going to show favor to the people in Judah He's going to give them a really good ruler, and lo and behold, that guy's going to come from this family. A shocker. You may not think that was possible, but with God, the, the Lord can do that kind of stuff, right? The second thing the Lord said he was going to do, he was going to establish Jerusalem, and that was at the end of verse 4, if you notice. So it was going to be the place where the presence of the Lord would shine, and that would be especially encouraging after the huge amount of darkness that was allowed to come in and cover the land because of the last few kings who opened every door they could to idolatry. So darkness was all over the place. And yet, in that dark place, the Lord said, I'm going to give them a lamp and let his light shine. Wow, you talk about the amazing grace of our Lord, right? So seeing things like this, it should really encourage us to pray because God can change times even when it looks like the darkness has taken over. And we've seen that in our own country, huh? Isn't that amazing? So in verse 5 then, the Lord starts out here and he says the word, he uses the word because. And he's doing that to explain why he was able to bless the southern kingdom of Judah with his light. Despite the fact that they had evil kings to, to, uh, in the back there leading them down such a, a dark, ugly path, you know, it, it's amazing here. It looks like they didn't deserve anything. The people were following these leaders as they were leading them into idolatry. We don't see anybody kicking up their heels at this point and saying, we're not going the right direction. 
I'm sure there were people, you know, that there were remnant there that were hiding in the, the darkness too and really not sticking their head up too far at this point. But now the Lord is going to show us why he was able to bless this place even though it was headed into such darkness. We're told here the Lord blessed Judah for King David's sake. That's amazing. Because of David's walk with the Lord, because of his faithfulness, the Lord was going to be able to get past this junk that was brought in, and now he's going to bless those people. And when we see things like that, the Lord, that he's got that character, he's got that desire to bless people, especially when they don't deserve it, and he's going to do that because of someone else, we should be extremely thankful that that's his heart. Because that's really similar to us. Just like these people were blessed for David's sake, we've been very blessed for Jesus' sake. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 1 for a second. There's a lot of places we could go, but this one is a pretty powerful one to start with. And if you have a chance, you're looking for a place to get encouraged in the Lord, Ephesians chapter 1 is a place you might want to stop off for a while. Ephesians chapter 1, it says in verse 3, and you can read the whole passage. We're just going to look at verse 3 because there's, there's a bunch in here. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and don't miss this, in Christ. Wow. Because of Jesus and what Jesus has done, you and I, if we are in Christ today, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, aren't you glad that we deserve that? <laughs> oh, don't go there. <laughs> if you look at that person in the mirror that I look in the mirror, you know, and you say, man, this guy doesn't deserve anything good. But the Lord blessed us for the sake of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? So yeah, when we see stuff like this in the Old Testament where the Lord's going to bless these people and you might look at it and say, why would you bless these folks? Man, they're, they're really a mess. And the Lord says, I'm going to do it for King David's sake because of his faithfulness. Man, that's amazing, isn't it? That's just amazing. So the Lord here, he's shown us a few things. There's a, another word that somebody pointed out back here in 1 Kings 15 and in verse 5 that's really, it's important as well. It's toward the end of the verse. And the word is accept. As the Lord has given this shining testimony about King David. And man, it just gets better and better the more you read it, you know, until you get to that last part and you're, you run into that kind of a roadblock that says accept. And we know the story. We've been there. We've we studied that passage, right? And you know, if you and I have been walking with the Lord and we've been growing in the Lord and we have a pretty good testimony going and we haven't pulled any major blunders in our life to damage that testimony yet, then the encouragement is let's continue on that same path, you know, and seriously make an effort to avoid any of these accepts that may come into our life and try to hurt our testimony. But if you've already had one of those blunders, and unfortunately some of us have had those, you know, then if you've honestly confessed them to the Lord and you've dealt with it before the Lord, then you just need to move forward from there. I want you to look at something in the New Testament as well to encourage you with this. Philippians chapter 3. Take a look at Philippians chapter 3 with me. This is a passage that's really important because I, I notice the enemy, he really tries to work us over. We have a hard enough time forgiving ourselves sometimes, right? Some of us are kind of tough on ourselves. 
But the enemy, he's right there too. He loves to help you kick yourself when you're down if you want, want some help on that. But Philippians chapter 3, and look at verse 12. It says, not that, and this is Paul speaking here, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. And if you mark your Bible, that's a good phrase to mark. I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. He said, I'm going to have the same goal that Jesus has for my life. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Man, if Paul says one thing I do with his testimony, we want to pay attention, right? He says, forgetting those things which are behind, because we can't change them anyway, you might as well forget them, and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. All we have is the future. That's all we've got to work with, guys. So don't beat yourself up over the past. Don't let the enemy beat you up over the past. And look what he says in verse 14. I press toward. He's going forward again. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So the Lord doesn't want you or me. He doesn't want us to stagnate in one spot because we've seemed to have fallen into a rut and we keep beating ourselves up or we keep allowing the devil to beat us up. He wants us to get right with him again, get right with the Lord and get back on the path that he has for our life. And man, I tell you what, that is so important because the enemy is persistent, as you know. He will continue to try to run you down because he wants to discourage you. He does not want you telling people about Jesus. He doesn't want you living for the Lord and letting that light shine. He wants you to hide it in, in shame. So don't let him do that, okay? We see another principle back here in 1 Corinthians 15 as well. I'm first, I'm back in Corinthians, I'll tell you what. It's 1 Kings 15. You guys know how to interpret that, right? Corinthians is kings. Yeah, just keep telling yourself that. Now, we see another principle here. The Lord tells, tells us that David made a disastrous mistake when it came to the matter of Uriah the Hittite, okay? And the Lord has dealt with his sin. I mean, David's forgiven, all that's over with. But his, his life now is being used as a teaching tool. So the Lord's not holding this against David. He's just saying this is one of the things that David did wrong. It was one of the accepts in his life, okay? So here's David. He's guilty of murder with Uriah the Hittite. You remember the story. And that carried the death penalty with it. But since David repented, the Lord not only forgave him, but here he was now, as we see in 1 Kings 15, he's still blessing others because of David. So it shows us something, that even a life that has been messed up by making some really bad decisions can still be a life that the Lord can use to bless others. So if, if you need encouragement with that, you receive that yourself but I know you're going to talk to people, if you haven't already, that are beating themselves up and the devil's got them under his foot or his thumb, okay? You need to encourage those people that the Lord can still use their life to bless others if they will just repent and they will surrender to him. Don't ever think the Lord cannot use your life to bless other people. Yeah, that's a lie from the enemy and do not accept that yourself. There's still another great truth we see back here in 1 Kings 15. David's life of being loyal to the Lord, it brought blessings to people that lived generations after him. Isn't that amazing? Wow. God gave favor to Israel because of David, and he had been gone for a long time at this point. And here the Lord is saying, I'm still able to bless them because of what David did. 
So be encouraged. Your life of obedience to the Lord has potential to bless other generations down the road if the Lord should tarry. Yeah, don't, don't listen again to the lies of the enemy who whispers in your ear that you're no big deal. Who do you think you are? You can't do anything. You're going to do something for the Lord? I don't think so. You know, it ain't going to have any effect. That is a total lie. Your life of obedience to the Lord could bless people down the road that you may not even know about. They may be another generation or two away. They hear your testimony. God uses your testimony of obedience, and he blesses them. Again, if the Lord should tarry. Isn't that amazing? That that's the heart of our Lord. It's amazing. He just wants to bless people because of us. Can you imagine of our walk with him? So here's another verse I want to encourage you with. Now, believe it or not, this is in 1 Corinthians 15, the New Testament. Okay, I've got this one down, I believe. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, it should be a famous verse to you, one that's, that hopefully the Lord has used to encourage you a number of times, but it's always good to go back and get these in front of our eyes again. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, I don't know how David got encouraged at times when he was maybe hitting the low spot and the devil was working him over and telling him you're nothing and your life's a mess and all this stuff. I don't know. I don't know if he heard directly from the Lord, if the Lord comforted his heart immediately. I know he walked with us. We're told he had the spirit in him working in him, so it's very possible that he heard encouragements like that. But I'm, I don't think David had any idea <laughs> how many people's lives we've blessed down the road. Generations away. We're talking about the nation here, the southern kingdom of Judah, being blessed because of his obedience to the Lord. Wow, amazing. Okay, back to our Old Testament passage again, First Kings chapter 15. Look at verse 6 with me. There was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life, and that's Rob and Jerry, and they just couldn't stop fighting. Now the rest of the acts of Abijam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? And there was war between Abijam and Jeroboam, so even though uh, Rob's out of the way here and his son Abijam took over. The wars didn't stop. They, they decided they still wanted to keep these wars going. So it says in verse 8, So Abijam rested with his fathers and they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa, his son, reigned in his place. Okay, it's, it's really sad to watch a, a civil war like this go on because these were Jews fighting their own countrymen. But you know, without the Lord, you really can't expect to have peace. Unfortunately, not even in the family like that. So going on to verse, uh, verse 9 here, it says, In the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, so he's in the north, in his 20th year of reigning, Asa became king over Judah. And he reigned 41 years in Jerusalem, a long time. His grandmother's name was Maacah, the granddaughter of Absalom. There's her name again coming up here. So this is the son of Abijam, and he had a very long reign in Israel there, 41 years, long time. Verse 11, it says, Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did his father David. Here's another one-verse summary of this king's life. And even though it is short, it sure is an awesome summary. Wow, we even sang about that this morning. It'd be great to hear, well done, right? <laughs> 
Yeah, so this guy, he's got a good reputation with the Lord as the Lord looks at his heart. And you notice here too, David is still the standard where the kings of Judah are being judged next to him. And the Lord's going to describe here in the next two verses some of the things that Asa did that showed his desire to please the Lord. This is why he had that testimony from the Lord, okay? And you know, too, I wonder if Asa here, I wonder what motivated him to have such a, a drive for the Lord. I just wonder if maybe he saw his, his dad's short reign of three years and noticed how much sin his dad got into. His dad got into all kinds of sin. Anything he could find looked like he was ready to jump into it. I wonder if he did the math on that. And he thought, Dad lived pretty wicked, but he only had a reign for three years. I want to be the king for longer than three years, so I think I'm going to change my direction here. I'm not sure, but something seemed like it sure motivated Asa to get things cleaned up for the Lord here. I know the Lord was behind it, but I just wonder what the real motivation was practically. Verse 12 here, it says, And he banished the perverted persons from the land and removed all the idols that his fathers had made. So we're told two major things here this guy did in his life. One, he banished the perverted persons from the land. And you may see the definition of that word perverted persons in your uh, footnote of your Bible if you've got a reference to that. It says those practicing sodomy and prostitution in religious rituals. So he kicked these guys off the land. They were banned. They were not allowed in the place, okay? This was something that was pretty common among the pagans, and Israel, unfortunately, had adopted these practices too. So these were things that were well established in their society at that time. So think about that. It was a common thing for have this, uh, this temple down here, this place of worship on the high places, and it would be a place where they could go and enjoy the sins of homosexuality. They could enjoy uh, lust of all kinds there and stuff, and it was just a normal thing. He banned all of this from the land there. That's something that's been set for a while. That's not easy to do. So Asa had tremendous courage to go against his culture here in order to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And someone would say, as Christians, somebody said this, you know, as Christians, we're going to have to stand against evil too, even if that evil is very accepted in our culture. You think about that. Let me encourage you in this. You know, we're being, the pressure's on us about don't say anything about homosexuality, you know, be quiet about that stuff and everything. It's horrible in the eyes of the Lord. There's reasons for that. I don't know if you're aware of this. Did you know the Lord condemns homosexuality, obviously, and it's not because he doesn't like it. He condemns it because he cares about people. That's why. He wants to be able to have people live free from sin so that they can have a better life and a relationship with him. I heard this, this is a, a shock to me when I heard this. Did you know the average life of a homosexual is 40 years old? That's rather young to die, you know? So the Lord's trying to help people live longer, fuller lives. He doesn't enjoy condemning anyone. I know the devil throws that one out there that we're condemning all these people. We're not condemning them, we're trying to help them. Yeah, come to the Lord, get a better life, live longer, you know? Yeah, those are things they don't want to tell you on the news. <laughs> but if you do some homework on that, you'll be shocked some of the stuff you find. The second major thing that Asa did in the verse, you know, the first thing he did, he banished these perverted persons, but it says he removed all the idols that his fathers had made. Again, can you imagine? That means that he would be tearing down his father's legacy. Woo! Talk about stepping on some toes. 
This was another well-established thing in their society. They've been worshiping these idols since Solomon's days, unfortunately. And what courage this Asa had, he must have had to tackle these major religious things going on in their culture. Wow. So now are we saying that we have to take a stand against false religions in our culture too? Yes. <laughs> Somebody said this. If Christians won't tell people the truth and warn them, then who will? Wow. That was pretty potent hearing that, you know? Wow. Yeah, if I, you know, I'm not saying that we just should plow people over. You hear stories about that. No. We should prayerfully speak the truth in love. And that's the balance the Lord gives us. Prayerfully. Keep that in prayer. Lord, I want to help people. Please open the door for that. When, I, when you open that door, let me speak the truth in love. Got to have both sides of it. Okay? So let them know that we're warning them out of love, not out of judgment. Verse 13 goes on. He also removed Maacha, his grandmother, from being queen mother. And here's the reason. Because she had made an obscene image of Asherah, which is one of the false gods and idols they worship there. And Asa cut down her obscene image and burned it by the brook Kidron. Now to me, this had to be one of the most courageous things that he did. Because here he's coming against his own family and his own family's traditions. And I'll bet Grandma was shocked when she saw what her grandmother had, what her grandson had done here. But you know what? She should have been more than just shocked. She should have been ashamed of what she had done. You know, and she needed to get right with the Lord. I don't know if she ever did. But look how serious Asa took this, you know? He didn't just cut down Grandma's obscene image that she had made, but he also burned it. Ooh. Man, I bet Grandma was was wondering what in the world has gotten into my grandson. Wow. Yeah. So he's going to make this thing, he's going to completely destroy it. It's going to be completely gone. And that's the way to handle sin in our lives. We need to completely destroy it. Don't just cover it up and stick it away in the closet. It might be discovered later on and brought back to life. No, it needs to be completely destroyed. Okay. Verse 14 goes on. But the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was loyal to the Lord all his days. Now, mixed emotions over this one, huh? <laughs> on the one hand, it's great that he's so loyal to the Lord, but on the other hand, you wonder why it says it this way that he still allowed some of the high places, you know? And from what I've read, they're, they're, they say that he destroyed the high places for worshiping idols, but there were some high places that were dedicated to the Lord, and I think Solomon had, had put some of those places up originally, if I remember right. And I'm sure it looked like it was kind of an honorable thing to do, but you're leaving the door open for false worship when you do that. God never said to do that. That was man coming up with that one. So when you look at Asa here and you're thinking, why did he give in to this area of the culture? You know, he had such a good run going on. He was tearing down stuff right and left that was not pleasing to the Lord. But for some reason, he let these up there. You know, it, it's interesting to me. I, I have to ask a couple of questions. You know, was he trying to be political here, hoping that maybe I can save not getting everybody mad at me if I just leave some of these places? And they're dedicated to the Lord, so I guess I can get away with that. I don't know if that's what he was thinking. Some people think that this part of their culture had been around so long that nobody had a problem with it at all. You know, they were just so used to it, it was almost like it was invisible to them as being a problem. 
And I'm not sure the reason, but it doesn't set well when you read it. You can tell there's something wrong, you know, because it says, nevertheless, Asa's heart was loyal to the Lord all his days. So we can examine ourselves in this, you know. Are there things in my life that might be invisible to me? <laughs> and we can pray and ask the Lord to reveal them to us. And then we can also ask the Lord to give us the courage to get rid of them completely. Because I don't know why, but Asa stopped when it came to that one. Verse 15, he also brought into the house of the Lord the things which his father had dedicated and the things which he himself had dedicated, silver and gold and utensils. So these are good things here that he did too. And that shows us here the Lord prospered them and they were able to add these things to the house of the Lord. That's a good thing. Verse 16, now there was war between Asa and Baasha, king of Israel, all their days. Now, Baasha was another, uh, another king in the north that had come up, and the Lord will fill us in on the details on him uh, later on. But it shows us, again, there is still war going on between the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom of Israel all their days. Verse 17, and Baasha, king of Israel, came up against Judah, and he built Ramah, uh, that he might let none go out or come into Asa, king of Judah. And what he was trying to do here, this Ramah was at a very uh, a critical point, I guess you'd say. It was a major trade route going between the north and the south. Now, as he's building this kind of stronghold city here, his goal is to cut off the southern kingdom from trade. And his, his thinking, I'm sure, is that I'm going to destroy their economy and then they're going to have to follow me. It sounds like the, the normal ruler of some tyrant, right? Normal idea they come up with. Verse 18, then Isa took all the silver and gold that was left in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and delivered them into the hand of his servants. And King Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, the son of Tabrimon, the son of Hezion, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus. So he's sending some things to the north up here that is really far up. The king of Assyria, he's sending some treasures there. And there's a reason for that in verse 19. Let there be a treaty. This is the message his servants were supposed to bring. Let there be a treaty between you and me, as there was between my father and your father. See, I have sent you a present of silver and gold. I don't think your translation says a bribe there, but that's kind of what the idea was. Yeah, it was a present of silver and gold. Come and break your treaty with Baasha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So he made a couple of serious mistakes here. One, he took the silver and gold from the temple. And some say that he literally robbed the temple. Okay. Secondly, he was going to use the silver and gold to bribe the king of Syria, and he called it a treaty proposal. <laughs> We're not new in coming up with nicer terms of things, right, in our culture. We're used to politically correct. Well, they had it back then, too, apparently. And thirdly, he made a deal with the pagan king rather than going to the Lord for help. Major, major mistake. The Lord was not pleased with the way he handled the situation. If you want to look over to 2 King, uh, 2 Chronicles, we're still in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 16, or I can read that to you if you'd like. It tells us what the Lord thought about this little idea Asa came up with. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, and down to verse 7. And at that time, Henani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you have relied on the king of Syria. So the Lord sent a, a messenger to King Asa here. Uh, 
said, because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians and the Lubum not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. And that was an event that happened earlier. We're not going to take time to go there, but it's described in Second Chronicles. So he had an invasion by an army that was much, much larger than his, and he didn't stand a chance. He cried out to the Lord, and the Lord delivered him with no problem. Okay? So the Lord's saying, did you forget about that? That I'm bigger than any army that comes against you, and yet you didn't come to me. Uh, verse 9 as it goes on in that Second Chronicles 16 passage, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show him strong, himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Hint, hint, you haven't done that. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. Isn't that amazing? The Lord was basically saying, had you come to me, I not only would have delivered you, I would have given you a time of peace. But since you seem to want to do things your way, let's let you drive for a while. And guess what? You're going to have wars from here on out. Man, we don't like it when the Lord has to tell us stuff like that, you know? The Lord said, you could have trusted me. I'm, I'm here. Remember, I've helped you before, and, and I can't help you again. I didn't run out of energy or strength. So obviously, Asa here was leaning on his own understanding and not trusting the Lord with all of his heart. So the Lord tells us his heart was loyal to him. He didn't stop following the Lord. It's just that he didn't rely on the Lord all the time. Does that sound familiar? Ouch. Man. We need these passages. They're painful at times, but we need them, you know. Unfortunately, after we've been walking with the Lord for a few years, we tend to think we've got things under control. So I don't need to pray about everything, right? <laughs> We think we can handle these situations on our own. I've grown in the Lord. I'm stronger now. But think about this. Growing in the Lord doesn't mean we get more independent from the Lord. It means that we grow closer and deeper with the Lord, right? I mean, you notice in the New Testament, the Lord tells us to pray without ceasing. He doesn't say, after you've known me for quite some time, just pray about the big things. You got the rest. You won't find that verse, will you? <laughs> the Lord says, pray without ceasing. He never wants us to walk away from that relationship we have with him. And you know what? We can talk to him about everything, the big things, the small things. He doesn't mind hearing about all the small things going on in our life, as well as the major things. He's okay with that. Yeah. So back in our first Kings passage, down to verse 20. So Ben-Hadad heeded King Asa, and he sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. He attacked and it gives us the name of these cities, Ijon, Dan, Abelmeth, Meacha, and all Chinneroth, with all the land of Naphtali. Now it happened when Beasha heard it, that he stopped building Ramah, and he remained in Terzah. So the plan that he came up with here, Asa, it looked like it might work, okay? And somebody said, that's the most dangerous thing that can happen to us, when we come up with our own plan, and it works. Because so we think, oh, I pulled that off, I got away with that. No, <laughs> it may look like it worked, but there's some real problems with it in the background. This is going to backfire on him down the road, but it did work. See, the guy, the, uh, the king there, uh, Beasha from the north, he was building that city on his southern border, that Rama, that stronghold that cut off the trade going through. 
And when this war started way up north, he decided, I got to let this project go and I got to go up north and defend my land. So it worked in that sense. It looked like it worked. But those guys in the north that he tried to bribe here, they're going to come and turn on him one day too. God doesn't do that kind of stuff. You go to the Lord for help. He doesn't say, no, you owe me, man. I'm coming. I'm going to get blood next time too. He never does that to us. You know, verse 22 goes on. Then King Asa made a proclamation throughout all Judah. None was exempted. And they took away the stones and timber of Ramah, which Baasha had used for building. And with them, King Asa built Jeba of Benjamin and Mizpah. So what he did here, he made all, apparently he made all the people go and take this project apart in Ramah and take all the stuff they were using to build with, the wood and the stones and everything, and bring it back to their territory and build a couple cities. And I think it was kind of like, ha, 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 you know. So he pulled it off, and again, it looks like it worked, but it's not a good idea. Verse 23, the rest of all the acts of Asa and all his might, all that he did, and the cities which he built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? But in the time of his old age, he was diseased in his feet. Interesting side note the Lord tells us there. You know, it t- we're told later on in 2 Chronicles 16 that when he became diseased in his feet, it, it became very severe, and it goes on to say this. In his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but physicians. Wow, another stinging one for us, you know. Uh, it doesn't mean the Lord doesn't want us to see physicians. He's provided us with those, and we thank the Lord for them. But we need to go to the Lord first, right? They say, Lord, please heal me. And, and if you're using the doctors, we pray you'd, you'd bless them, use them. If you're going to use a medication, we pray you'd give us the right stuff, lead us to the right stuff, and you would use that. But, Lord, it's you that does the healing anyway. You get all praise and glory for that if it happens. This guy kind of cut the Lord out of that picture. He thought, I got doctors. I don't need the Lord. Ooh, big mistake. So his disease became very severe in his feet, and the Lord doesn't mind telling us about that. So... We see something about his life here. He doesn't seek the Lord when he gets older. When he was young, it seemed like he had a tremendous walk with the Lord. Man, he would tear things down that the enemy put up there and all the rotten junk the devil was trying to push. He'd just rip it out. But as he got later on in life, kind of sat back in the easy chair and thought, I got everything I need. I'm good. I I don't really need to trust the Lord much at this point at all. Whew, sad, sad. So the Lord shows us about him. He was a good man, he, he was, but he just didn't finish well. You know, he, he loved the Lord, walked with the Lord, but as time went on, he drifted, okay? And even though, something interesting to note about him too, he had an evil father, right? And yet he made decisions for the Lord, yeah. So this shows us we don't have to follow in our father's footsteps if they weren't following the Lord. And just because they didn't lead a godly life, that does not mean that we can't do that. You know, but one more statement I wanted to make here because it's been on my heart. I heard a pastor say this when he was talking about, you know, when it looked like everything worked for him when he didn't go with the Lord (laughs) and how dangerous that was in his life. He said, you'd be amazed in our country, the pressure that is on a lot of pastors to do all of these things in their church to draw people in because they work. And this pastor said, is that really our standard? Because they work? Shouldn't the standard be to honor the Lord? If this honors the Lord, that should be the standard. Forget if it works or not. 
We don't have to worry about that. Jesus said, I will build my church, right? We don't need all the tricks and gimmicks and gizmos that are pushed out there. We need to just trust the Lord, right? The Lord knows what he's doing. We learn from this. You better go to the Lord. Don't try to use the world and try to figure out what the world would do to get more people or turn them or motivate them or manipulate them or whatever, you know. So some great lessons here. We'll get a chance to dig in more uh, as the Lord shows us some of these kings as time goes on. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for the, the patience you have with us as you walk us through passages like this. And Lord, it's hard to look at some people's lives that are over and they're long gone and you're able to summarize their life in one verse. Lord, as you look at our life, what would that one verse summary look like? How many accepts would we have in there? How many neverlesses would we have we can praise you for? Lord, I pray, in the days we have left on this earth, let us continue to press forward. Let us continue to follow your path for our life. And Lord, I pray too that we be faithful to you to the very end, Lord. Let us not drift. Let us not get lazy in our walk with you. But Lord, we want to be your people that you can say, well done. Thank you for everybody who's here, Lord. I pray for those who are not able to be here with us, but I pray for those that are able to watch the live stream as well. Please encourage them in their walk with you. And Lord, we give back to you all praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.